Father, again, we thank you that you have led us to this point to hear from on high the words that you wanted us to hear even when we were in the wounds of our parents, our mothers, that you have been preparing this day for us. So we want to thank you. So we receive your words with an open heart, an open mind, ready to grasp every single morsel that you pour down as rain from heaven into our spirits. Then, Father, give us, give us the ability to absorb it all that we may become the people that are in the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we love you today. And even as we consider all the things that are on the back burner of our life today, we set them all aside, Lord God. All of our smart devices that ring uncontrollably, like a child with colic. All those things that are waiting for us. We uh, put it all behind us so that we can have an audience with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last time we dealt with our fruitlessness when we speak of jealousy. We understood that jealousy oftentimes sparks more trouble than not due to our sinful nature. This is true even when we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Today, however, we make a dramatic turn and we are going to look at jealousy from a different angle. We're going to look at the jealousy of God. But you see, right away, this introduces a problem. It introduces a problem because we may ask ourselves, how in the world can God be jealous, or why would he be jealous that that makes no sense? Just the thought of God being jealous, it provokes an adverse reaction in some of us. It, uh, it just doesn't jive, as we say. But I want you to listen to what one television personality has said about God and jealousy, and I won't mention her name. And I quote, she said this, God is jealous of me? Something just doesn't feel right in my spirit. In fact, she went on to say that I could never worship a God who's jealous. <laughs> what do you think about God being jealous? How would you even respond if you knew God was jealous of you? 
So we're going to hear from God's word today as he desires to target our heart and hear about his jealousy. So if you recall the definition I presented last time about jealousy, it, it, it somehow doesn't fit our current focus today. Remember, I said last time that jealousy is, and I quote, a strong feeling of possessiveness, often caused by the possibility that something which belongs or ought to belong to us is about to be taken away. Remember that? End quote. But now I want to highlight another part of the definition which I implied and maybe briefly mentioned, but I didn't focus on. That self-destructive human emotion uh, similar to envy. And again, this part of that definition of jealousy is problematic when we try to take that and we uh, overlay that on the person of God. Jealousy when referring to us, peoples, jealousy is me-centric. And it has a focus on us with a residue of sinfulness. Our jealousy can be misguided because, as you heard, that we can get it wrong. And I term this unfounded jealousy. Jealousy that has no basis in fact. This unfounded jealousy often uh, leads to uh, sinning and having blind and vengeful behavior. On the other hand, there is jealousy that is based in fact, yet people take that to an extreme because they don't have the omniscience, they don't have the all-knowingness which allows for perfect judgment. When was the last time you had perfect judgment on anything? I mean, perfect judgment. You knew inside from the out. See. So because we as folks, we are broken, yes, saved by the grace of God, Because we are broken, that means that our judgment and our jealousy may also be broken and misinformed. But jealousy can also be very positive, meaning a, a passionate commitment to something which rightly belongs to you. It's yours. It should not go away. And recall also how I said that the word for jealousy was found in the word zealousness, right? So zealousness is, in fact, it is the same word as jealousy. What determines its meaning is the con context. So zealousness is a positive and passionate commitment to something or someone that rouses a concern inside of us. <laughs> it is that jealousy of zealousness which is the focus in today's message concerning God. Uh, turn with me to Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. And I want you to know this, that number one, that God is not jealous of who you are or your accomplishments. 
So if you think that God is jealous of you because of who you are or what you have done, you are incorrect. Psalm 24.1 says what? It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein, right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof uh, the world and those or they that dwell therein. So God is the one who ultimately owns everything. He created it all, including the creativity in the intellect which flows through our minds. So why would God be jealous of something which he gave to you in the first place? If God is the originator of intellect, if he is the originator of uh, creativity, why would God be jealous of us if that's true? The Lord doesn't want your title, and he certainly doesn't want your money. Because it is all worthless to him. In other words, what can, if you were to give, literally, give God your money, what could he do with it? Uh, you probably say, hey man, now, now I don't have to give to the church because God doesn't want my money for anything. Wrong. I don't have time to walk through that, but you're wrong. God doesn't need a house. He doesn't need your car. He doesn't need your bed. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need uh, clothing. He doesn't need any of that stuff. He doesn't need your smartphone. Why? Because God is smart. He doesn't need an education. So the, jo uh, the, the Lord is not jealous for what you possess or, or what you have attained because uh, he is and has and owns so much more than that. Why? Because God is not trying to keep up with the Joneses. He ain't trying to keep up with the Smiths, the Yamamotos, the O'Malley's, or the Azewikis. God is not trying to keep up with anyone. Why? Because he takes the high road because he knows who he is. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. You know this passage, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, so if we think that we can one-upmanship on God, we're wrong because uh, the Lord God is so much higher than we are. Okay, then what is this jealousy of God about then? It has to do with the focus of our heart of worship. That's what it's about. It's not about the stuff that you own or the stuff that you have. It is about your heart of worship. Now we know that the Lord, He strongly condemns sin in any form. He condemns injustice, the maltreatment of orphans and widows, Murder, theft, adultery, and any other darkness that God, he condemns all of those things. Yet, when it comes to the heart of worship, he is especially harsh and severe in dealing with fallacious worship. God is severe. I mean, think about it for a second. Think about all the wives that Solomon had. 
and all the wives that King David had and all the stuff that those kings went through, right? You know, God didn't like the stuff that they did, but the moment that the heart of worship changed, then God came down on them like a ton of bricks. Now, don't get it twisted, as my wife says sometimes, right? He doesn't like any type of sin. But the moment that your focus of worship has been shifted, then God really takes notice. Exodus 34 and 14. Exodus 34, verse 14. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So the first thing he says when it says you shall worship no other God, uh, what that word means is that you shall not bow down before another God. Or you shall not take a knee to another God that is not a God. By bowing down, a person brings themselves into willing submission. Now, this is problematic for the Lord who has already stated believers shall not worship. You will not, you will not worship another God. What are you doing on your knees? In other words, God says if there's going to be a number one, if there's going to be an ace in the pack, he says that he's it and there's not four of four different colors. God said there's only one ace in the pack and he's it. There is no greater, there is no lesser God. None of them that controls the weather, the crops, the forests, the mountains, or our communities. I say that, you say, why is he talking about the forest? Uh, one of the things that I know about many of our, 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 our podcasts, that they are international as well. So God does not control uh, there is no small g God controlling the weather over your head. Or God of the forest or the park. But then our, our, our passage tells us here in Exodus 34 and 14 uh, that the Lord, uh, that his name is jealous. What does this mean? What does it mean that his name is jealous? Uh, now in Hebrew it means that he's fiercely protective and unaccepting of disloyalty. You're going to be disloyal to God? God says that he's jealous and he don't like what you're getting at. With this in mind, we must understand that God, he protects his honor. You see, you know, sometimes that's what jealousy is about, isn't it? When you are jealous of someone else, oftentimes it's like a hit on you, isn't it? It's like, you know, how, how are you going to do that? How are you going to act that way? make me look like a fool. See, God, he is concerned about his honor. Therefore, knowing that God's name is jealous, why, why would Moses have this place in Scripture as God has directed him to put in there? But what this is, is this is a shot across the bow as a warning to us. God is warning you, God is warning me that he's what? Jealous. You don't want to get, uh, in, in, in our realm, right, you don't want to get a crazy person jealous, amen? 
Because a, a person who is already crazy and they get jealous on you, then you know they can start blowing up some stuff, don't you? Right? Hearing stories, uh, you know, I'm not going to even mention those stories. I don't want to encourage nobody to do them. Let's go on. God's jealousy is activated when we place things in competition with him. And now let's turn uh, with me to Isaiah chapter 44. We're going to read verses 9 through 11. Isaiah 44, verses 9 through 11. And I want you to hold on as we go. I am going somewhere if you're wondering what in the world is he doing up there. Isaiah 44, verse 9. The prophet Isaiah says, All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know, that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? In other words, that's good for nothing. Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. Now look carefully at verse 9. Now, I need for you to follow me very carefully and listen Closely. Verse 9. In our passage, we see that people, uh, they have done what? They have fashioned idols in which they delight. Right? This is fascinating. Why? This is fascinating because we recall the Lord, uh, Yahweh, who fashioned or formed man from the dust of the ground in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. God is able to make the inanimate animate. God is able to make that which is not living alive. So God's remarkable power not only creates, but God also makes his creation to breathe. Now people who are made in the image of God with creative intelligence made attempts to emulate God. Ah, people who are made in the image of God have been making since the beginning of time attempts to emulate God. In this creative process, by doing what? Forming or fashioning idols. See, men who are made in the image of God in the beginning Right? God created the heavens and the earth. He fashioned man, Genesis 2 and 7. And now we have men on our hand who are doing what? Trying to fashion things to make them live. Think about it for a second. Think about it. Yeah, back at that time, you know, they you know, got pieces of wood, right? And they're taking these pieces of wood, you know, out the forest and they're fashioning them, hoping that, that, that they will live. Today, what are they doing? They're trying to create life. Men, mankind, all men, women, you know, those who are in those fields, some of them are trying to create life. Trying to create life. But unlike God, people can't create the living out of the non-living. 
Currently, they take something that is already alive and make it grow, but God, uh, but God does it even better, right? Because God can speak things into existence. Their goal, however, in this context is to create something from the recesses of their imagination and then worship it. Can you imagine that? Uh, taking the tree from in front of your house or in your backyard and say, I will worship you? The problem is that since they have fashioned it, they have formed it with their hands, how then can that thing then become praiseworthy? God got a, got a big old problem with this. God is not going to sit idly by and not respond to people who use uh, their God-given creativity to produce a trinket which then becomes their God. The Lord does not give us a mind so we can use it to get rid of him. And that's exactly what people are doing all over the place. Some people who attain a certain level of success or achievement they then falsely realize uh, that they don't need God, and they say, because he doesn't exist, they say. Listen to this. A.W. Tozer says this, and I, I quote, The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God which are unworthy of him. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God which are unworthy of him. So in their imagination, they have fashioned or formed another God uh, uh, like their talents. What? Like their talents. So some folks, God, you would probably say, I will never in a million years take a piece of wood and worship it. But some people take their talents and they worship those things, don't they? Some people worship their own wealth. They worship poverty. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can someone worship their poverty? Because that's the thing that they have. Uh, they say, well, I ain't got that. I ain't got this. Uh, they, they, they dig into and they lean into their poverty, and their poverty becomes their God. Now, this may not be true, and definitely is not true of everyone, but there are some people that poverty is their God. Some people's God are their children. I just want to make sure my kid, in fact, be it husband and or wife, whatever it may do, I'm, just, I'm putting everything I am into my child. Okay, you go ahead now. Because one day, you might, I pray that it doesn't happen, but you put everything you have into that child. When that child grows up one day, you may have a child rebellious on your hand, and you might be, Lord, 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 get this child up out of here. You see, you can't put your hopes in your child in, 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 in that vein. Our hopes only belong in the Lord. Now, let's look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Scripture says this about the mentality of mankind after the fall. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great, in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. One more time. Uh, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Well, let me retranslate this for you, right? In other words, 
every thought that mankind had because of his wickedness, that he, here it is, this is the word that they use, right? It's not in our translation because of the way contextually they put it together. Right? Every thought that he has used, that he has fashioned in his heart that it was evil continually. So the thoughts and the intents of the wickedness of man uh, that, uh, that we fashion it in our hearts continuously. In other words, the thoughts that people fashion or form is consistently evil. Uh, so uh, we uh, may use our mental capacity to do what? To produce evilness. Now you may say, I don't do that. I don't, I, I don't do that, but I, I beg to differ, right? Even though there are times in which you have rest from some of those evil thoughts, right? That uh, you are often, we are often flooded with thoughts that always risk to hijack the good that you want to do. Right? You, you could be minding your business and all of a sudden you may have the most vile thought come across your mind and you ain't got no business thinking it. Why? Because every thought in our mind, oftentimes, it is evil consistently. But God can help us with that. Amen? Right? Uh, God says uh, to uh, be not uh, conformed to this world, but what? To be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. That means you need to put the word of God where? In your mind and in your heart. If you want victory, God will give you the victory. Use his words to give you the victory. So looking at what the Lord says in this situation in verses 9 through 11, he says, number one, all idols that they are nothing. He said the things that uh, they take pleasure in that they don't help, in other words, they can't see and they don't have any knowledge. Verse 10, he says, who uh, makes anything that has no value and that puts people to shame. Next, misplaced worship is no worship at all. Here we go, Isaiah 44, verses 12 through 16. I'm going to read this in its entirety. Isaiah 44, verses 12 through 16. <clears throat> the iron smith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with uh, planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. And then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. How can we take something that we have created, that we have fashioned and formed, and then worship it and bow down to it? 
In our passage, we see first that the metal worker uses his tool tirelessly to create a metal image to worship, an idol to worship. Look at that. It says there in verse 12 that he refused to eat. He refused to drink water until what was in his mind and on his heart had come into being. How many of us have worked tirelessly on a project? Skipping lunch? Staying late on the job? But then when it came to the things of the Lord, oh, I don't have time. Oh, I, 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 I tried to read the Word of God, but every time I read the Word of God, I read like one or two words and I just go to sleep. Or I can read it, but, you know, I just can't concentrate. But what happens to us when it's time to work? Oh, yeah, I got time to work. Oh, yeah. Uh, can you do overtime? Yeah. How many hours? See? So what is truly your God? Is it God, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Or is it that nine to five that you work for? Because you remember this. You go ahead and you worship that job all you want to. But one day, that job may tell you, all right, see you later. But when it's time for you to retire, and you say, well, I know I worked hard, but I don't have any money to show for it, that job will tell you, all right, but we're going to give you a, uh, how about we give you a new iPhone? Right? By that time, maybe it'll be an iPhone 20 or something like that. You know, maybe they'll take an eye, or maybe they'll put an iPhone, right? They'll put it in the contact in your eyeball so you won't even have to have anything on your person. Okay, I'll take that. See, the one consistent that we will have in our life will be the Lord. Look at the woodworker who is meticulous in the selection and measuring of the wood, which will eventually be an object of worship. Verse 14 tells us that they either cut the tree down and nurture it before using it as an idol. Think about it. They nurture the tree, which means it has to be watered, which means it has to be fertilized. They have to watch it, clear out all the, the, the weeds. And this happens year after year after year. And then eventually the person cuts it down and does what with it? Worships it. He needs to spend years making sure that it's nice and strong and solid. Here in verses 15 and 16, the Lord wants us to understand that this is just absolutely ridiculous. This makes no sense in the world. These people use this wood to warm themselves while using another part to cook their meat. Then they tell the tree, I worship you. Then they want the wood to deliver them when they get in trouble. Oh, piece of wood, can you deliver me? They want that same piece of wood to heal them, to grow their crops, or to bring them a new job. So the people who created these idols during this time, listen here. The people who created the idols during this time, they did not believe that that piece of wood was their God. Well, wait a minute, what you've been talking about? Hold on. Hold on for a second. But I want you to get this. They did not believe that that piece of wood was their God. Then why were they bowing down to it? 
They were bound down to it for this reason. They believed that the spirit of their God would come and inhabit that piece of wood. That's why they would bow down to the wood with the hopes of the spirit of their God would come down and inhabit that piece of wood for which they are bowing down. So if their God entered that image, it made sense for them to pray to it as if it were their God. Again, Isaiah 44, verse 17. Uh, so what the prophet said about the idol is true. And the rest of it, he makes into a God, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. But hold on. Here's... Here's the catch right here. New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18. Paul is making his way to the Lord's table around here, but this is right before it. He says this, verse 18. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? Verse 20. Big giant, no. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to, what's the word? Demons. And not to God. See? First thing I want you to know, because I, 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 I know how a society is going these days and, 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 and our, our culture is becoming more multicultural as we live out. People are coming and going from all over the world, uh, right? And, and sometimes you hang out with these folks and you go into different restaurants and they got little Buddhas here and little Buddhas there and your friend going there and they bow down to the little Buddha and there, whatever, whatever the heck they're doing and all these other little gods with multiple arms and all this other stuff, right? And, and then a lot of times, because you're trying to be nice, you go in with them uh, all willy-nilly, and you go and you, you do your thing as well. Don't do it. Don't do it. Why? Because Paul just told us, by bowing down to an idol, you're bowing down to who? Demons. You see? Is that what you want? Is that, what you, is that what you're trying to invite into your life? Are you trying to invite a demon into your life? You see, if you're bowing down to it, you're saying, come on in, demon. Now, uh, you know, the idol, Paul says, the idol is really nothing. But know that uh, he's saying that if there is any manifestation, it is demonic. Let's go on, verse 20. No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God, I do not want you to be participants. There you go. I don't want you to be in fellowship with demons. 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, right? Uh, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So listen, listen. Anyone who purports... That they, you know what, I heard that statue speak. Or, I was in, 
here it is, loose quotes, a church. And there was a statue of the lady. You know the lady I'm talking about. And I looked at the statue, and it was crying blood. I tell you, it was crying blood. That must have been Mary. So what we decided that we were going to do, we were going to bow down to Mary. That ain't no Mary. That's a demon. All these idols, right? The other thing is in, 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 in other religions in which they have elephants and they offer milk to the elephant. And the anticipation is that if I offer milk uh, to uh, my God elephant, that the next day I come in, all that milk is going to be gone. I know that uh, the spirit of, of that elephant God, that they were there. If that milk is gone, when you get there the next day, you better take the elephant and you better hack him up with an axe or burn him in the fire. Right? Because if that milk is gone, it is the trick of the devil that he's trying to get you, he's trying to draw you into him and away from Jesus Christ. So think again before you pray to the statue of the Virgin Mary hoping she's going to speak to you. Right? You, you have no business praying to Mary in the first place. Amen? There's only one that we pray to, and that is Jesus Christ. We pray to God in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Think again before you inadvertently think it is harmless to pray to a statue of an animal or, or thing hoping that they're going to give you a sign. But listen to this. The same thing goes for the cross. What? You do not kneel at the cross as an object of worship. The cross is not an object. So if you got one around your neck, you got one tattooed or tatted, right, on your shoulders or your back or your ankle or anything like that, right? You don't worship the cross. The cross was an object of punishment. It was an object for murder. Yeah, it's true that it represents that's where our Lord and Savior, uh, where he died for our sins. And this is why in the Old Testament that uh, when uh, the priests and, and the metal workers and the, and the woodworkers and, and the textile workers, when they built the temple, one of the things that could not be in there, they could not have pictures of what? They couldn't have pictures of men of other gods, quite naturally. Why? Because of, uh, of our desire to wanting to worship those things. So the same thing is true for the cross. If you have a cross, you remember that you don't worship the cross, that you worship Jesus Christ, and you remember that he sacrificed himself for your sin. So the Lord doesn't play when we try to replace him with nonsense. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21. Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those people who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish na uh, nation. 
The issue is not the gods, the idols, or even God's anger. The issue, again, it is our hearts. This has been the case from the very beginning, even as we heard about Cain and Abel last time. I remember that the issue with Cain was his heart. Where was his heart when he brought an offering to the Lord? Again, did he crudely throw it together at the last minute? Or was this something that took thoughts and considerable amount of time in worship? So God wants us to return to him. God wants us to return to him. Now back, finally, to Isaiah 44, verses 21 and 22. Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, God's people. For you are my servants. I formed you. You are my servants, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me. God says, return to him. Why? For I have redeemed you. The Lord wants us to know that he is jealous when we place things ahead of him or in place of him. So how do you ease a sense of jealousy in a relationship? You ease a sense of jealousy by getting closer together. James uh, 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God, and he will do what? Draw near to you. Draw near to us. James 4 and 8. The longer we stay away from the Lord, the more strained that relationships become. That relationship becomes. Isn't that true of any relationship? It never gets stronger the further apart you are. If you're having trouble in your relationship, you don't say, you know what, since we're having so much trouble, the one thing we need to do, we need to spend about 90 days apart. You do that, and you are putting a death nail in the coffin of your relationship. By separating many people, the problem is they avoid the hard work of change. See, God wants us to change our hearts. You see, when we consider what are the idols of our heart, this is hard work because we know that we, can, we will spend another hour on the job for overtime at the drop of a hat, but the soon, as soon as it's time uh, to, to read Scripture or to be at Bible study, well, you know, I'd like to, but i got to get to bed early tonight. But you see, any other night, you're willing to stay uh, up until 1 and 2 in the morning. But then you come to Bible study, well, I'd like to do it, but, you know, I've really been tired. And then you get to work. Can you stay overtime? Yeah. See? Do you have an idol? Listen again to what the Lord told his people in Isaiah 45, 22. I have blotted out your transgression like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Isaiah the prophet, he spoke against the idle activity of his day, which provoked God's jealousy. You and me, you and I, as Christian prophets, we must wake up and speak against the idle activity in our culture. But first, we must speak against the idle activity in our own hearts. Let's pray.